Hello and welcome to another episode of IoT Bus. Uh, my name is Hamed from Crenac and I'm uh, joining with Andrew um, at the Orient Technologies. Hello, Andrew. Hamed, how are you? It's nice to see you again. Very well, thank you. Uh, today uh, we are uh, with uh, Nick Seymour, CEO, CEO and uh, founder of Pharma. Hello, uh, Nick. How are you today? Yeah, hi, Hamid, and uh, yeah, hi, Andrea. Thanks very much for having me on the show. Thanks, I'm Nick Farmo. Um, tells us a bit in the name, but farm technology business, clearly. Tell us a bit about what Farmo means to you and where it all sort of started from, because I know there's generally a really good background story of how you get to Farmo um, in the agri-tech space, and love to hear about how you got to where it sort of started from. Yeah, well, the Farmo name, it kind of says it all. And uh, I'm a big fan of short email names. And so I did search <laughs> ages and ages. You start at three yeah, letters, cool. go to four letters, then yeah. five, five letters. Farmo is about the, the shortest I could get. Okay. Um, yeah, so, so for me, um, you know, I, I grew up on a farm, on a cattle farm, and um, spent my early sort of years there and probably working there right up until my mid-20s. Mm -hmm. And I left, and I've been doing other stuff for yeah the last 20 25 years nearly and now just just in the last few years my dad got uh into his 80s and needed a little bit more help back on the farm so i've even though i'm living in footscray i've sort of taken on the task of of managing this cattle farm near hamilton and the the, the challenge was that was sort of being remote from the farm and and with animals are a bit different to to cropping and everything like that if you're not there um you know it, it, it is a real challenge and you've got a responsibility to make sure they've got water all the time and not getting out in the road and all these sort of things so i realized this pretty early on um then i had a very close call with turning up one day and there was animals in a laneway without any water um and that was a real fried and a, and a shock to me and it just sort of that was only three years ago and it, that was the day that I said right you know I've heard about this remote monitoring and I've thought about it but no I'm gonna I'm actually gonna jump in and start doing it um, and then when I looked into it there wasn't really the the remote monitoring that I wanted at the time and mm -hmm. it, it just a lot of the ag tech had come across from environmental monitoring you know, there's been a lot of telemetry around that, that stuff for a long time, 30, 40 years, and just sort of rebranched as ag tech. Mm -hmm. But I, I wanted trough sensors, not not necessarily a tank sensor. I wanted gate sensors, mm -hmm. these sort of things. And um, so really, I just started. I, I just started inventing stuff. Essentially, I just had a you know, there's there's periods of your life where you just have a lot of energy. You know what I mean? You know, you just did this ideas just coming out of your head um so i just went crazy for a short period mm -hmm. and you know like i didn't let my lack of knowledge or or, or understanding around electronics or, or 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 computer science or that sort of thing hold me back that much just sort of hacking together elements that were off the shelf to create new you know new arrangements essentially that created new products to sort of service the user case that we had. Um, and before I know it, I had a couple of dodgy products. <laughs> dodgy. And working. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. On the farm. Yeah. 
So that, 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 that's how it started, yeah. yeah brilliant. So in terms of um, your background leading up to Farmo, yeah. any experience of technology or anything, what was your experience leading up into that sort of uh, frame of developing product? Yeah, no, because I, I, first of all, when I, I left uh, high school, I went on a farm actually for 12 months and then I came back and I studied zoology and mm. I finished the zoology, which, which would not sound relevant, but you know, zoology, it, 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 zoology is very, you know, it's a core science subject. There's a lot of statistics as well. You know, there's um, a lot of observational stuff that goes into that, that sort of background. It's good education, I think. Mm. Um, and I, but I didn't actually do anything to do with zoology. I went back farming again for a few more years, back with my dad, actually. I got um, started to butt heads with him in my mid-20s. And I changed completely, and I went off and did furniture design. Right, that's so, completely different. Yes, completely different, yeah. right? But it was when you're growing up on a farm, you you got no idea where product all the products in the world come from. It was always a curious thing, like where does a vacuum cleaner come from? You know, like who decides? You know how a chair should look like? You know, all, all these things you don't know. So it's a super interesting thing to do. You know, like to study this design process. Um, you know, industrial design would have been great, but I just did furniture design for whatever reason, I was into furniture. Um, so I did get some understanding of a design process, you know, like ideation, you know, concept development, you know, drawing capacity, all of those things. Um, and we also did yeah. um, prototyping, you know, th uh, 3D, uh, well, 3D modeling in CAD and also CAD machinery as well. So there is some background there. And then, but my furniture design career wasn't great. Like I thought I was great, but my wife was just reminding me quite, quite regularly that, you know, our bank balance, it ain't looking great, Nick. It's, it's just, you know. And so when, so when, when somebody uh, said to me, do you want to um, be a buyer, a furniture buyer? I said, well, what the hell is that? And they said, look, you just, you know, you, you've got to decide what's going to sell next year. You go to the factory, you find it, you try and negotiate a good price, come back. If it sells, you're a hero. If it doesn't sell, you're a loser. You probably lose your job. So I thought, oh, that sounds really cool. All right. So I did that job. And then they said, right, but the thing is, we are setting up this buying office in China. Okay. okay. All right. You know, never been to China. This is, you know, 2010 <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and, um, and they still liked us, so that was pretty nice. Um, so, okay, good. So I go over there. So it's sort of weird, but I did have a lot of experience in then in going to factories, talking to factories, mm. you know, just, just having nothing more than a drawing and then getting, you know, like a container worth of product out of them or something like that. So when I'm sitting there on the farm going, right, if I've got this prototype, this thing's floating around in the water and it, you know, does this and does this, and but if, if I want to commercialize it, it's not completely foreign to, you know, I I, I, I know what I've got to do. I just got to find- You understand conceptually the process. Mm. I, I know what the process is. I just don't know, mm. what the, I just don't have much familiarity with the specific elements, mm. you know, and I have to sort of upskill a little bit in those areas. Um, but I also know how to work with suppliers that you can't, you can't beat suppliers around and expect a good result. You know, you've really got to be working together and there's got to be some incentive exactly. for both of you, you know, to really make a project sort of go forward. Mm -hmm. 
you know, and I, I, I've, I've had so many, you know, I've suffered so many failures and bad decisions and all that sort of up until this point and learned from those along, along the way that I, it might seem like I'm starting from scratch, but I'm not really, you know, mm. starting mm. from scratch in terms of commercialising a product. So, yeah, that's yeah. kind of the background. That sort of furniture design sort of area would have helped on, like, products in ag, ag tech, I don't know, are probably not the, the best looking products in the world. Hamed, you've worked in ag tech a bit. How does that generally sort of flow through? What have you found in, in ag tech, Hamed, in terms of um, product design, what it sort of looks like, feels like? Um, is it built for purpose, nice commercial product, or do you just find it looks pretty ugly and stuck in a wall type thing? <laughs> you know, like I said, I think that's a great uh, uh, insight in here. Uh, the, the whole process of developing something new, like what you did, Nick, is is not very different for furniture or any product uh, um, in in terms of the process that you need to go through. And I guess uh, in agritech, uh, um, you know, the performance is much more important that than the look because uh, you know you, you need to deliver what you want. Uh, you have a big farm and lots of cattle or whatever you want to. Um, monitor or uh, you know and uh, service and it's, it's important that it delivers what you're after nothing complex uh, nothing that it looks very nice and shiny but doesn't deliver the, the results you after I think that's important to, uh, the product to be useful not uh, just nice gadgets that uh, maybe not, not, not yeah. doing the purpose oh. I guess. Yeah, you know, it's it's yeah, it's definitely got to be useful and perform a function. I mean, but it's it's maybe some in some of the you know, there's not the discipline around the actual end user experience. You know, the unboxing, the instructions. Yeah. Maybe they're a little too technical sometimes. Where, you know, I've been yelled at, berated, and whatever. You know, from from my bosses, whatever in furniture, if. You know, if the assembly instructions are not good enough, it comes back at you. You know, you get a exactly. lot of returns simply based on the way if you've packaged the, the the bolts and screws somewhere differently in the box, you know, that they get lost. And all of a sudden your returns are huge because they're just simple little things like that. And if the instructions aren't clear, that becomes a, a so-called faulty product that is returned and all those things. So there's just, I'm sort of glad in a way that what I'm lacking in the technology understanding, you know, I've had, I know that experience of an end consumer, how, what it's like to get something out of the box and be able to deploy it and have it working straight away. And that, that, that first experience you get with a product, it really defines your relationship with that product in such a way. If you're frustrated in those first five or 10 minutes, it's very hard to get that back, you know? That, that get that love back, you know. That you, you you beware if it comes out and you're all happy or whatever. You'll find reasons to 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 like this product, you know. So first impressions are always yeah. important, aren't they? Yes, it really great. is. Yeah, and mm. even with AgTech, and people, a lot of people don't. You know, I've seen mm -hmm. people didn't care about this so much for AgTech, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. um, because it's sort of semi-industrial. Who cares if it's a you know grey enclosure that you know. It just looks like a box of wires coming out. Who would care? Because all you're doing is monitoring um, uh, soil soil moisture in a paddock. But it turns out people do care, you know. 
Mm-hmm. But then it is the work one, but it's, like you said, I think it's more about how do you take the product out of the box, get it installed without too much interference or support calls, or how Simple. do I make this happen? Or needing Simple. installation staff to actually run this thing, that's a problem, right? So yeah, I think simplicity yeah. is always one most important thing when delivering product. Yeah. yeah. Maybe um, especially for, for some people in, in the farm that they might not be technical. So if, if you, yeah. uh, you know, develop something that they need to go through a learning process to be able to actually use it, then it's a fighter, the purpose. Yeah, well, the people often single out ag tech as the area with the poorest, poorest level of adoption. Amongst all the industry, all the areas of, of sort of humanity or whatever that have been able to take advantage of technology on a broad scale, on a mass scale, ag tech comes last. It's one of the areas that could benefit the most, but has benefited the least. Mm. And well, why do you think that is, Nick? Look, I, I think it is. It's around the complexity of the products, products that have been sort of delivered to the end user. There's okay. been. Mm-hmm. A lot of great conceptual sort of thinking, you know, if we could control the moisture, you know, that is delivered to it, to, to every droplet delivered to every every root and every every seed seedling, the crop mm-hmm. would, you know, have twice as much with half the water use. And that's a great concept, <laughs> right? But yeah. you've got to get the guy that's planting the crop to use it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and they've got to be yes. incentivized to use it. Yes. And they won't use it because you're telling them they're stupid for not using it, you know? No, that's not that, a way to sell. <laughs> that's not <laughs> a way to sell. But that is, but that is generally, yeah. you know, the way um, that ag tech has been delivered as, as a big data product, right? This is, a, mm. this is where the money is in ag tech, in the big data. But who's the money for from big data? Not for the farmer. No, it doesn't service you know? the farmer, does it? That's right. Yeah, it, it, in the end, it does. In the end, this is the thing. In the end, it really does help the farmer because it helps with supply chain and all these other things that will make their life better. But it's that's that's the long term sort of picture. There's got to be some immediate, you know, gain. There's always some pain with new technology for that. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. always some pain. So there's got to be also some immediate sort of pleasure or some kickback as well mm-hmm. to the final end user. Um, in in terms of choosing the right materials, choosing the right design, and of course applications, you know, part of it is uh, it, it related uh, to the to the IT design or developments, Andrew. So you need to know in in a farm there is no a good connectivity uh, like with where you have in in the city. So how you manage all that? Uh, but one one point I want to um, raise and uh, Tarko ask uh, Unique about is. You know, when someone developing a product, especially for the for the farm, for agriculture, for example, um, how do you find this? As some some product might look very nice, like uh, very cool, but um, in terms of adaptation to the farmers, um, is that something that's uh, happening easily, or do you, do you reckon that uh, in terms of how you design a product that most of the farmers with their different background in terms of a technology, um, they can adopt and use. Uh, what are the main important things that uh, someone needs to consider? Yeah, I had a feeling right at the start that the this sort of farm technology, it just looked too much like farm technology. And that was the mm-hmm. wrong feeling that, 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 that I was that, that I sort of wanted I wanted to be these objects to be more like you're boating camping fishing 
you know, that kind of desirable kind of thing that you might get and you might say to your mates, you know, I've got a water rat, you know, it's cool. Not, you know, I was trying to de, de technology, the, 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 the tech in a way that's, that, that, that's been the attention okay. because, you know, like maybe that's because I spend so much time, you know, like in furniture design that, you, mm. you know, I, just, I think that would impact it definitely. Yeah, I just sort of looked at a grey box with wires coming out and gone, you know, like, why is that so so ugly? Mm. Um, you know, don't they care at all about how it looks? You know, um, it's it's like they put some... And I remember also the guy who took over Volvo and the change of shape, and, and I remember him saying, you know, it costs the same amount to press, you know, an ugly panel as it does to press, you know, like a nice shape. You know, it's just someone deciding... Mm. That, and it's the same with an injection molding uh, enclosure. You know, it doesn't cost any difference to make one that looks good versus one that doesn't. So, um, mm. you know, Nick, I, th I think one important thing, as you mentioned, is because uh, you knew the final application, and I saw it in one of your videos that uh, you know you discuss about designing a, you know a final product that you just leave it under water it works yeah because you know if you design in a way that you need to fill around with lots of different you know setting and computer and others you might be able to do it but maybe another farmer can't because doesn't have that background doesn't have that knowledge so it's it's i think it's very important in terms of a design that you design in a way that it's simple to um, to use mm. so I want to know your, your feedbacks what do you think is that important so how you oh, found look, it for yourself yeah look that, that's super important I got that feedback actually directly myself uh, when, with an earlier prototype from my brother-in-law and the earlier prototype required um, uh, it, it needed to be fixed onto the trough and it required a hammer yeah. drill you know in four of those you know, industrial, sort of like a full installation, really a solid installation yeah. right? And yeah. you might yeah. think, yeah, that's fine, but in reality, the, the not everyone. Ever, he said, look, he said, Mate, Nick, not everyone even has a hammer drill nowadays. Not not everyone's even capable of that. Mm. You know what, what, what you're thinking there. Um, you know, it was, and that just sort of alerted me to the, you know, the, just looking at the whole picture. You know, not not just the device on the workbench testing and working well. It's, you know, how does it come out of the box? How does it get deployed, you know, at the, at the site? And then, you know, that sort of movement away from the site and activating the device and you've got data straight away. So, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that part of it is super important because we, we're dealing in an area where we're overcoming um, adoption hesitancy. We're we've got to overcome mm -hmm. all these barriers and sort of reluctance to technology. So. You know, it's so important to strip away as many of those barriers as you can. So you don't even realize you're adopting the technology. You're just throwing something in a trough, you know. Exactly. And I think, Andrew, like what, what you're doing in, yeah. in terms of, uh, you know, software development, I think it would be important mm -hmm. from your side too, as in how you um, sort of show those informations to the people that they are meaningful. Mm -hmm. Yeah not a bunch of lots of different data and numbers which at the end form a look and so what does it mean really i think that's again yeah. very important yeah mm -hmm. yeah i think and in, the, in your case nick correct me if i'm wrong but it's really about alerting to 
something going wrong or something that's out of tune or there's no water in the trough or there's a, a cow off course or whatever it sort of looks like it's more the exception you're managing i think people can a bit get a bit caught up in the tech and say let's build dashboards around all this sort of data but a farmer's not going to sit on a screen and watch where the cattle's moving all day every day that's not the objective of what you're trying to achieve here yeah. so you need to know what the outcomes are and one of the when you said it one of the clear outcomes was you had 20 20 cattle that had no water you need to solve that problem and be alerted to the fact that there was a problem so it's more about water we solving for rather than just putting information out there because sometimes there's way too much information and then consuming it is difficult and not even necessary sometimes yeah that, that's true we, we we sort of identified two types of data there's data that requires analysis and then data which is a call to action and if it's a call to action um, you've got to have a, a, a whole lot of different end users and you want it to be unambiguous what that action is. Do you know? So on, off, yes. high, low, yeah. do you know what I mean? Yes. That, and mm -hmm. the, the best use um, of this technology is when someone can go away for the weekend and have confidence that they don't have any to think about it. They don't look at anything. Mm. That if something goes wrong, their phone will vibrate. You know what I mean? They'll be they'll be called into action when it's required. Not that permanent state of sort of semi-awareness. You know that there's you know data is accumulating. So 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 that um, sort of that sort of ties in well, I think, with our end customer. Not they just don't they don't have an appetite for a lot of data. Right, and and they are sort of there's this battle at the moment with people telling you know uh, farmers that they are basically backward because they're resisting all the data that's going to you know uh, improve their lives yeah. and improve their prof profitability and all this sort of stuff. Right, so there's one you know and, and people are trying to convince them against their natural instincts and what I'm more trying to do to begin with at least is work with their natural instincts, right? Firstly, get the data in their hands, get them using it in a way they're comfortable. And then that, the, 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 there's, there's always more data there. It can, be, it can be just a zero and a one, but over a time period, you know, that becomes quite rich. Mm -hmm. And in different locations, it becomes quite rich. Do you know what I mean? All the comparative analysis mm -hmm. that you can do. So, but the first point, yeah, Andrew, is just get the simple thing in their hands and working and build that trust that it's useful. You know, that's and reliable, and yes, I think, well, in this world is super important. Yeah, that's mm. super important. Mm -hmm. um, and the mm. system's there, um, you know, to guarantee that reliability or at least alert mm -hmm. when the rely, at least alert as well, not only when there's a problem, but when the connectivity is broken. You know, that is so mm. important yep. that you're not under the false assurance that something's been looked after when Telstra are maintaining the network or something. You know, like. Yeah. yeah, that's the last thing you want. Yeah. That was down and you don't know about it and you think everything's yeah, fine, yeah, you, but it's yeah, not. So, so, yeah. But I did one of the, the, yeah. um, the surprises, a, a really interesting surprise for me, was for this really simple one, which is just trough empty, trough full. People actually then did start to graduate over to the dashboard and look at the, uh, look at the timeline and they would see things like, mm -hmm. they'd say to me, Nick, um, I didn't realise, but this trough, it's going empty for an hour in the middle of every day, right? Now, this is not, it's not really a problem. It's, it's like, if, if, you, mm. if you checked your cattle every morning, you would, you would see everything's yep. okay. There's no problem here. 
There's water. There's water, right? Yeah. Now, there's no leak in the tank. You know, the solar system hasn't broken down, right? It's simply a fact that now you're observing what the behaviour during the middle of the day. There's too many cattle on that trough for the water, water flow going in there. And so you've mm. got... You know, the business of farming really is putting on kilograms of protein every day. And if you've got animals that are waiting for a drink when they mm. should be just drinking freely and then going back to grazing, you're losing. Mm. You know, you can really start to quantify how much you're losing, for, you know, out of what you're trying to achieve. So, yeah, this is really interesting. So that, there's that natural shift from, it's great when it comes from the customer themselves to shift from just an alert to oh, well, I can get so much more out of this data if I... there's something else yeah, here. Yeah, if, mm. I, if I do. Yeah. So that, that was kind of interesting to get that feedback. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think data goes to insights in effect. So how do we generate some insight out of data and how do we get that insight into the hands of the farmer rather than a mass of data where they have to generate their own insight? Mm. I think that's some pivotal things as you step from just data collection through to data analysis, data insight, even automation of insight is where things like this can actually drive to. Mm-hmm. Have you explored much in that space in terms of insight generation, how you might recommend certain things at this date, or is it mainly product data capture at this moment in time? There's, the, look, there's, we've just explored the, the thin edge mm-hmm. of this wedge. There's a lot to explore. Got it. Yeah. Look, and, yeah. and another yeah. example of this yeah. is just mm-hmm. with, um, say, mm-hmm. soil temperature or soil temperature, um, which we're working with a, a, a like a farm rural supply shop, okay, and mm-hmm. they have got our they have got we, we've got soil moisture uh, monitors 100 k's north in this town and 100 k's south. It sort of covers the the geographical the, the, the geographic region of their customers. So they walk in they walk into the shop and they look at the screens and they go, oh, you know, it's getting dry up there. You know, it's wet down here. Blah, blah, blah. But what yeah. happens is when these guys want to start sowing their crops, it's all determined on the soil reaching a certain temperature, right? Okay. Now, mm-hmm. you imagine this guy that owns this shop every year he said, he tells his guys that he tells his customers, tell me when you want your seed well in advance. Tell me in advance. Tell me. And what happens every year? He gets to this point. And everyone wants their seed, right? That week. Because yeah. you can't delay it. Great. Right? So okay. now he's, we're able to be proactive. He's able to sort of like call his customers and go, hey, we can see these temperatures, you know, we can see it trending yeah. towards this point. You're going to need your seed in about two weeks. Do you want to pre-order? You know what I mean? So yeah, okay. this is sort of like now going off farm into the supply chain. That's interesting. Yeah, that's yeah, changing and- the use case, which I imagine you would have found as a part of being a part of the ecosystem and bringing solutions, not something that you th- may have thought of to begin no, with. No, no, I didn't think about that at all. No, yeah. that's, that's just, mm. uh, you know, um, I know it's Solve useful to know about your soil temperature, mm-hmm. but I mm-hmm. thought it was one of those sort of things it's useful to know about, but what can you do about it, you know? Um, yeah, I understand. But now, yeah, okay. but now I can see a little bit more how that data is useful on a, on a big scale, and especially when you've got these mm-hmm. pinch points in the supply chain where, you know, mm-hmm. forecasting and organisation just can allow things to flow through. So, yeah, mm-hmm. it's been pretty interesting. In terms of supply chain, it's always been a bit challenged of late. Have you found that a product like this can actually add quite a bit of value to the supply chain? Um, we haven't really, we, we, we've only done that on a bit of a micro sort of scale. We just sort of got it. Rolled out and mm-hmm. testing it. And 
Mm-hmm. We've got other ideas how to develop products to do that when we sort of scale up more. We're not really in a position to mm-hmm. yeah. um, yeah, to do that just yet. But I mean, when, I, okay. when you said supply chain, I thought you were going to talk about the issues when it comes back to the manufacturing side. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah, <laughs> we'll that's get there. Right. <laughs> I was going to lean lean on Ahmed a little bit. This conversation's come up a little bit. So Correct, yeah. Ahmed is always always raising about all right supply chain of the, and software. I'm in a world where there's no issue of supply chain. We need to find resources that can deliver outcomes. Yeah, that's it. They're, they're good at doing that role. It's a much, and there's a plethora of people and places you can go to get access to resources but when it comes to physical tangible products and what's happening around ecosystem logistics and cost of goods um, it's all changed the landscape and we had a a conversation with uh, William Strange who was um, manufacturing GPS um, devices for sport um, and in that world and yeah just having all sorts of challenges with supply chain so in your world, what's sort of been happening around supply chain and getting access to, to actual product? Well, it's hard. I mean, I don't really, mm. you know, understand the electronic engineering that much. I just see it as a big pizza oven and you've got to get all the ingredients, push it through the pizza <laughs> oven, it gets baked on and then it's ready to go, right? But it just needs mm. one of those little elements you can't get mm-hmm. and I can't and I can't get the, the end product, right? Now, it's fairly... You know, there's a lot of switching and, you know, substituting going on, um, you know, of, of, of critical components, you know, and that's okay. And you can generally do that. But then that it's got to be integrated. You need the, you know, you need the firmware guys then to integrate those new components into the system. So it's, it's, and that, that can often be the time, it can be quicker to do the substitution than it can to do that sort of firmware integration sometimes. So, um, I mean, you get there, it's just, yeah, it just you have to be a little bit more patient sometimes. <laughs> That's right, Nick. You know, uh, I think there are a few things into it, and I, I would like to know if you have experience or have any, uh, you know, uh, related, uh, you know, comments in there. Because um, you know, when, when you're designing a product, mm-hmm. of course, you will consider your end use, you consider your, you know, design requirements, and um, you know, software, hardware, electronics, all of it, but when you continue doing the business, when you're getting some feedbacks, when you have your product actually in the use, mm. then um, you will get few points that you can sit back and then look into your design and see, all right, I can make the you know few changes in here just to make the product easier to manufacture, um, mm. to solve some supply chain issues, or maybe adding few different features or uh, make it you know a bit more upgraded or better for the application. Um, but now having um, supply issues as well, then it forces uh, some of the, the people to, to look into finding alternatives of making some changes in the product design, which is not necessarily desired or that's one yeah. thing you want to do, but you have to do because you can't get your product. As you said, if you don't get one of the components, one of the bill of materials items, then you can't make your product. Yeah. So. Um, how how was your experience, especially in this area? Did you have uh, issues with the supply chain, with component design, and so on, or? Not well, no, we, we we have, you know, we, we've had, um, you know, like quite significant components. Like I said, we've had to sort of substitute or switch out, and then and then redesign some of the firmware side of it. I mean, for us, um, one of the great things I think has been. 3D printers, 
you know, for the small components, mm. for the small bits, not, not for the enclosure or anything which is really customer facing so much for us, but just the flexibility that it gives us with inside, um, you know, an enclosure, that, that, that's been fantastic. Mm -hmm. So our bill of material can be sort of 95% things that you can find in a catalogue and then there's that 5% that, that you can just go, oh, fantastic. We can just, you know, run all these small parts off. And, that, and that, that's perfect. It can just enable you to finish off a product. Um, I, I think that for us, the challenge around the design is, do we, do we have the confidence that we're going to sell enough units to invest in a, a complete design of the enclosure and injection mold you know, build the mold and do it that way and get the enclosure that, that we want, you know, that serves the, the mm -hmm. purpose best, right? And we've only done that so far on one product, the water run, and it's fantastic in terms of how that works. In everything else, we're sort of waiting to see a little bit. We're using an off-the-shelf enclosure, you know, and there's always compromises around you know, that off-the-shelf enclosure, especially when you bring it across to, there's very few that are designed specifically for, you know, agriculture, where ideally things would be attached with big flanges that are coming off that can take, you know, tech screws with, um, you know, socket drills and all those sort of things, not dainty little, um, you know, holes that get filled up with spider webs and all that sort of stuff. Um, mm. So for us, that, we don't have a background of selling millions of, of units all the, all the time and we'll go through a process and we'll go, right, we'll commit to this product and we'll do the full industrial design and do the enclosure. It's a little bit, um, let's sell 100, right, this way. Yeah, test, get to a number. Yeah, let's yeah. yeah. It's testing product. Let's yeah, it's MVP, That's as it. you would say. Like, what's the minimum viable? It's going to get it tested yeah. in market and actually start collect data and build the use case around it because yeah, it's all well and good to go and invest. Hamid, give me some context. Is obviously not the hardware guy. Like, if you're going to go do injection molding, the commercial design, what's the cost of doing something like that? Give people some context and or compared to just picking off something off the shelf. Because imagine a Nick picking something off the shelf might be a hundred bucks to buy a mold or even less or an enclosure. Um, but injection molding, thousands, where are we at? Hundreds of thousands, what's it look like in terms of getting there? I think, Nick, what, what you mm -hmm. probably experience yourself too, mm -hmm. uh, you know, like, like what you said, when you are designing something specific for your application, that's a mm -hmm. custom design for yours. So you'll consider mm -hmm. everything that you need in your product. But the problem, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, is that uh, you need to, to, to make a mold for yourself. And that's the fixed mm. cost that usually, you know, it's a big one at the mm. start. Um, there are some other methods like low quantity injection molding, which you have a lower costing for, you know, uh, the mold, and then you can get a, a, still a very good quality molding um, at a good price. But then sometimes even at your start, that would be a big cost for the projects too. So as you mentioned, there could be some other simpler rapid prototyping methods that you can use like 3D printing, CNC machining, you know, vacuum casting and all that. Mm. So I think it's uh, it's important to find out what is uh, your strategy into getting to the market where you are in terms of that scale up process, as, as you said. Sometimes, uh, you know, you start with the, you know, low quantity processes uh, with 
less cost. And then when you grow, when your market grows, when you're making hopefully millions of the product, then you know you, you get into a, a further processes with uh, you know manufacturers of injection moldings, uh, which bring down your cost, but um, then it needs a quantity uh, mm. which you don't have at the start. Mm. Um, one question I have, Nick, for you. Um, you know, you said a lot about uh, you know the advantages that these IoT and new technologies bring into the farming and agriculture. Um, what do you see as uh, barriers there in terms of adopting new technologies in agriculture um, from farmers or from industry? The barrier is it, it's just the complexity, really, of another tool. And if this was the only bit of technology that farmers were having to suddenly adopt, it'd be fine. But it, it, it's not. They've just got around working out Instagram. Then they've just got, we've got around, you know, working around, there's a digital thing on their house, so they can get in their house. And then their tractor won't move, you know, because, you know, the GPS system is, is out or whatever. And, and, and it's just kind of technology on top of technology on top of technology. And there's a sort of a weariness and a sort of, um, a burden and there's like 10 percent 15 percent it's it's fun you know they love it you know they, 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 they love, it's, it's, it's the early adopters yeah, there yeah. <laughs> the ones that just want to yeah. jump in and have a go yeah, right? so there's no challenge yeah. with them them yeah. at all we're just talking about you know um the, the the core middle and then um and the rest of them so the challenge is to make it um as little about the technology as possible and as much about you know the, the end benefit um yeah, that, that, that's the real. I mean, mm. I, 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 I still struggle um, with some things at the moment. If I'm presenting, someone comes up to me and says, right, I want to measure the water in my tank. And I'll mm. go, I'll start talking about, right, we offer like a LoRaWAN solution, which is good if you've got a lot of device. Yeah, they won't even understand what you're talking yeah, about there. That's or, right. And it's the cheaper <laughs> one. So I want to give them the cheaper option, right? But then they've got yeah, the more yeah. expensive one with a SIM card. And I, and I found myself yep. sometimes saying, you know, you got your LoRaWAN one yep. or you got your... And, and I could just see their eyes are spinning over. I'm like, no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm doing this wrong. You know, that, <laughs> Don't never talk about the tech. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's all that to is. change. You know, the way that's I'm your doing. area, Andrew. You know the, yeah. the challenges yeah, that you face. Sure. Yeah. It's all about yeah, all about income, right? That's what all. are they getting from it? And then why do they want to measure the water in the tank? Yeah, like why? What's what are they? What do they feel the benefit is? Yeah. If the benefit is yeah, they feel like their their cattle are going to be grazing more often, get a quick access to water. I'm just going to make sure they've got enough water supply. Yeah great here take this one it will do the job yeah. that, that's all they would really care about i don't and it's going to come down to all right, how do we get it operational because there's obviously a setup component yeah. and they're probably handed over to actually do that how hard is it for them to engage the actual device mm -hmm. put it in the water mm -hmm. seems pretty simple drop it in yeah. but then how do they connect it to their application to i'm imagining there's some sort of web application mobile application that you're using yep. how do they connect to that so that process if it's simple that's all they would really care about yep i can measure the water job done yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not if it's wi-fi if it's connected to a local wan or whatever it looks like yeah yeah, yeah look and look we've contributed to that problem in us you know a bit ourselves yeah. and, but yeah. australia on, yeah. on the other the flip side of it, it, mm -hmm. it is a little bit hard to ignore because Australia is a big country and not all areas are serviced by the same form of communications, you know. Yep. So you sort of, mm -hmm. 
at one level you are having to make a choice you know of yeah. how is this device going to communicate get it started to the cloud yeah. essentially how's yeah. it going to do that so yeah. yeah so it's there but it's just trying to make that choice as small you know as, as less visible well, i don't know it's lesson it's, it's i think it comes down to questions yeah. and at what location are you in how's your your uh, mobile reception yeah. all these questions and then if mobile reception is great yeah this option could work well for you. If not, probably recommend this one. So that's how I would approach it. Talk about, yeah, ask questions and not give them devices because if they don't understand the tech, they're not going to be able to make a choice. Yeah. Mm. yeah. <laughs> so I've got, <laughs> I got three trades curve. that's coming yeah. up in the next sort of six yeah. weeks or whatever, so I'll get plenty of practice, yeah. you know. Mm. All right. Good. Ask more questions because you solve problems. Ask questions. Don't worry about giving them <laughs> features. Uh, people don't really understand half the time, but it's just about benefits. Ask questions. You you provide. So be the guide in selling the product is what I've learned over the journey in tech and just being involved in it. The simpler, the better. Um, a couple of key questions around how you sort of pick that. You're obviously non-technical, and I think you've come a really long way to get to where you are. Um, how did you go about picking who to work with, some partners along the journey, because clearly you needed help mm. across the, the electronic side, the software side. How did you approach that piece? And you mentioned you're not invested. You've done this mostly on your own accord. Mm. Um, so step by step, so you've made most of those decisions on your own. How did you find the people, the resources, the teams to work with? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky. I got, I got my nephew, Kevin. And um, it's always somebody. <laughs> so you know, like, uh, yeah. Kevin, uh, you know, in, in computer science, Melbourne Uni, all that sort of yeah. stuff. So and he's got a, he's got a full time day job. So Kevin uh, has always taken that responsibility for the connectivity and the integration. So where mm -hmm. as long as mm -hmm. I can get the data, you know, out to the cloud somewhere, he can really take that anywhere, and that is just. Um, it, it's actually a bit of a point of difference for us because I know other companies sort of struggle. We can take it to this endpoint, but you talk about other mm -hmm. endpoints, um, it's a bit of a challenge and it's a whole sort of another work project to do. But for us, um, we, we're very flexible and we'll be taking Kevin just sort of looks after all that. Um, and then the, 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 the early days of prototyping is, re is, is really about just buying pre-existing bits off the shelf that already work and just meshing them together, okay? And then getting an understanding of, um, you know, the, the thing is for us, the, 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 a lot of the sensing technology has been around mm. for a long time, you know, 50 years, <laughs> you know, you've just, mm. you know, there's, and it's that that really is the choice for us like in this particular environment right of a the volume of grain the weight of water um the, the location of a gate what is the you know what is the particular sensor element itself that is going to work best most reliably in that situation so once we've sort of done that and then we're building it onto the um, you know, the, the, the microprocessor and then the communications module and the battery. Now, in terms of where we want to go, we just reach out and engage with a third party when we want to build that here in Melbourne. So mm. what we've done is we've gone offshore with the injection moulding, um, you mm -hmm. know, bringing those 
those enclosures back and then we've engaged the electronic engineers in Melbourne to build out the, the PCB as we need. And then it sort of comes back to us and we sort of do the final assembly. Um, and, you know, in the box and all that sort of stuff. There's quite, there's no real, I, I can't think of any way to, how do you find these people or anything? You, you know, you just reach out and you grab, you grab someone and if it, and if it works. That, that makes sense. It, it works, you keep going. If it doesn't work, you just gotta yeah. grab someone Move else, on. the next person. Yeah, and, no. You know, you know. It's a good attitude though. Yeah. yeah. You know when you're working with someone, Mm -hmm. uh, we've got a future together because you're just on the yeah. same sort of page mm -hmm. or yeah. or someone that's that, that's not quite right that you know um, mm -hmm. and you just have to keep going through until you get that good relationship yeah um, yeah one of the key things you said there exactly. and i'll tie into um if someone's sort of starting out so the off-the-shelf components there's plenty out there there are yeah. raspberry pies the arduinos yeah. in the world and you can build these things quite easily in probably every single one of your sensors yeah. you can get some parts from throw it in something and you could produce your outcome yeah. uh, but then at scale how do you sell it so but that's not the starting point for any new product it's about prove test case get some data somewhere yeah. start visualizing and that i think that's the sounds like the approach you took yeah that's it because there's got to be something unique or innovative or creative about what you're doing there's no point just um if there's a good sensor that does the job just buy that you know and resell it yeah you know there's no mm. you know you've got to be contributing something unique you've had you've had to have mm -hmm. you know looked at the problem in a different way you know you know and just made some sort of discovery, some sort of organic discovery along the way because of your circumstances that now you can provide a product which is a little bit better than the one that exists out there already. Otherwise, what's the, what's the point? Because mm. we're never going to beat someone on scale and, and, and raw cost, are we? You know? No, not at the current level, not right? Current but level, it's about, yeah. yeah, can you innovate a little bit differently and make it easier for the farmer to throw the, the water rat as you call it in the water yeah. and just quickly connect and move on yeah. and i think it's all about yeah usability at that level a, a, another example exactly. i think that's a important terms you mentioned mm. usability that, that, mm. that, that's it the, the entire so there's many i'll talk about the gate is another one for an example a farm gate so this all the previous measurements about doors and gates in position were, were about were position based they were about of the. They were measuring the gate, right itself, you know, and the movement of that in a in a predicted location. That's really troublesome, you know, with a farm gate. So, what we just started to think about, it no, it's all about the latch. Like, is the latch engaged, or not? That's all. That's all mm -hmm. we need to know. Because if the latch is engaged, the gate is shut. Doesn't matter how much a gate is wobbling if the latch is not engaged. And we found it much easier to measure. Mm -hmm just the presence or absence of the latch in a fixed location. So we just focused on that and then we were able to deliver a product which is much, as a, it's, it's much less prone to those false positives, false negatives. It just works better. It's all you're doing, measuring the latch. Mm -hmm. so, um, if you're measuring movement of gate, I'm sure each latching has significant movement available to it so there might be some gates that only move a millimeter or two some that move probably a couple of centimeters yeah, or two yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're all varied it's, right it's a, yeah, so, yeah and, and yeah. all kind of gates are yeah. different and then you've got to think of uh -huh. of hmm. um we're not building gates we want to be able to retrofit yeah. this 
you know, into an existing mm. environment. And so... Now, top of farm gates, I know of. I've got some chains that you have. Yeah. You hook around <laughs> a little right. thing and you're done. So it's a, not very um, complex gates and latching going on there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's probably an interesting one to actually retrofit, right? It, it, that's, that's, yeah. that's sort of the challenge. Yeah. But that, that's the cool mm -hmm. part. That, that, that's where, um, yeah. you know, we're really lucky right now because we're looking at old problems. These are these problems have been around for ages, but it's only in the last five or ten years or whatever that the battery life has been good enough and the telecommunications mm. have been good enough to even think about putting these things remotely. All right? Yeah, correct. So mm -hmm. it's fer it's a fertile ground, you know, like just to head out there wherever you are mm -hmm. and um, expose yourself to the the problems, the pain points mm -hmm. of whatever industry you're in, and. Mm -hmm. Get a move on. Do it, you know, get going because you might well <laughs> be able to come up with a solution that no one else has yet got around to thinking about. Um, so that's that. This this is why it's pretty cool right now. Yeah, no, I love the passion, love the yeah. um, enthusiasm that you're bringing to the table, um, Nick. In that's terms cool. of. Farmo, where to from here? What's the what's the mm. vision for the business? Because we all start off a, yeah. a simple problem, which was twenty cattle. Yeah couldn't get water at a, at a trough through to, all right, now let's solve that problem. What's the vision? Where do you want to take this? And what do you see Farmo being as a brand, as a business? What type of problems do you see yourself solving over the next five, 10 years? Well, we're more than just the one product. There's, 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 so there's a, there is an ecosystem of products on a farm. Mm. And okay. the one of the big discussions at the moment is around, say, let's say the dashboard. Um, mm. And if you've got a lot of different vendors providing products to farmers, does that mean they're ending up with a whole lot of different dashboards, which is confusing yeah, it and it's not good? Mm. Or mm. is, you know, how good are we at, at, at integrating each of our, our products' data into a single dashboard? And, you know, and what are the commercial realities that would make that happen? Um, you know, so we are, we, we, I guess the answer is we, we are going to try and capture more of that ecosystem, right? With with, with mm. more products, um, and we're going to do that in, in in Australia first of all. But we're also going to America uh, in about three, mm -hmm. in a few weeks, in the middle of September. It's this, this is our sort of unplanned, unstructured progression. I've just looked up uh, Husker Harvest Days. It's a field day in Nebraska. Let's just go. Yeah, there. Heading up to Nebraska. Excellent. I'm stand. Go on, have a look. Yeah. yeah. No, well done. We're just going to rock up yeah. there with a stand and yeah. see what happens, knowing that we are going to make so many mistakes, knowing that we know nothing at all, but that if we – we also know we're going to be there seriously in three years' time, so why not sort of get in now and make the mistakes early, get a better understanding mm -hmm. of the customers. So we'll be doing um, – a little bit of both of that sort of trying to develop that market in america mm -hmm. um okay. and mm -hmm. while refining everything and sort of working with our customer because at the moment australia's just gone past the tipping point of um the early adopters uh they're all done and now done. it's this okay. this these Good. other ones who are just sort of you know, that's the bigger market, right? Yeah, that's so that's, that's, that's so you are in the scale-up uh, stage, actually. Yeah, yeah that just—it's no longer. Mm. You, I, I already noticed the changing vibe over the last few months. You're no longer s sort of selling to them what these things do. 
they are more like they've seen the neighbour down the road's got one. You know, they've heard about it and they just want one. So th th this is the interesting part now, the exciting part in Australia to sort of, yeah, increase. That's where the opportunity That's really opens up. And I think, yep, the ecosystem, I think it's a really good problem, interesting problem that you raised there. If you've got multiple devices, you've got tractors that are kicking yeah. down and you've got GPS, how do you bring them all into one ecosystem at a data point? That's an interesting problem to solve because it's going to get created pretty quickly and probably already exists. Yes. Where a farmer's logging into three platforms just to look at three different objects and items. So mm -hmm. they might have a farmo platform, there's something for their tractors, yeah. something for different things. So yeah, that becomes problematic because yeah, it's hard to use. It's um, not ideal for the user base, but then how do we solve for that problem? Mm -hmm. So we solve some problems, we create more. That's, yeah. that's the reality of business. Yeah. Oh, oh, the, the other part, Andrew, is, we're, we're, you know, anyone will know this is starting a small business. You start off, right, just because there's only a, a couple of you, doing everything yeah. to a pretty mm -hmm. low standard, right? So yep. just to keep <laughs> the best you can. Afloat, just doing the best you can. Just doing yeah. the best <laughs> you can, right? Exactly. And so yeah. that is a part I'm really looking forward to. Our dashboard, some people yeah. say it looks good. I, I look at it, I think it could be so much better. There's just, there's so many yeah. things mm -hmm. that, that mm -hmm. I can't wait until we scale up a little bit more and we can get, you know, mm -hmm. real expertise you know, to fine tune yeah. each part of the, the business, that, that'll be there. But you know, Nick, that needs an economy of scales that, yeah. you know, when you're expanding to new market, then you have, and then you can work on improving your product look and quality and, you know, Correct. And There's that. a time and a place for everything, yeah. So you, if you do all too much investment in that area without customers, you just waste and burn time. So I've seen a lot of businesses do that yeah. in the world, especially software. Yeah. They just been all their runway on building tech. They haven't sold it to anybody yet. Yeah. <laughs> they may have communicated a little bit. Yeah. Then they go to market and they go, how do we sell it? Well, you have to have marketing dollars now and you have to communicate it and then they run out of budget. So yeah. it does happen. So you gotta balance that as you're building technology and you're building new products. How do you balance the, like I'm not quite happy with it, yeah. but I've got to get it to market because I've got to get feedback to evolve it, to get a revenue base, to prove a business model. Mm. Um, yeah, and understand what the business model is because that evolves as well with the journey. Yeah, I, I visualize the old three-legged race. Yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that, that, that's basically it. You know, your, your, your yeah. the, the product finish, you know, is tied yeah. to the, the number of customers you have and the usage, all of these things that you, you know, one thing just can't go racing off in front of the other. You've, mm. like it or not, yep. to go and That's a fair analogy. Yeah, very good. Oh, Nick, thanks for joining us. It's been a pleasure getting Thank to know you, you a little bit, talking about Farmo. Thanks for coming on IoT Buzz and um, we'll share out everything about Farmo in terms of um, yourself, your LinkedIn connection and also your website when we post out the episode. So I really appreciate you jumping on and just sharing a bit about your background and good luck in the US in September. I think it'll be good fun and learning. Yeah. So enjoy that trip. No worries. Yeah, look, yeah. really nice to talk to you, Andrew and Hamid. Yeah, nice to meet you guys. It was a pleasure. Oh, cheers, no, Nick. See you guys. All the good for you and Farmo. Da, da, da.